1: As those are able to please stand for our first lesson comes from Genesis, the first book and the first chapter, so it should be fairly easy to find. And we begin with verse 26. Listen now to the Word of God. And then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
0: Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. We are continuing a sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount, and it brings us today to the sixth chapter of Matthew, the 19th through the 24th verses. This is Jesus speaking to those who were gathered on that hillside outside of Capernaum, above the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus' words to us this morning. Listen. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven Is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. me take just a moment of personal privilege. Those of you who are in the sanctuary this morning, particularly members, you're aware that I have submitted a letter of resignation to senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church effective next Sunday. So next Sunday will be my last Sunday in this pulpit as your senior pastor. And that has come as a very, very difficult and heart-rending decision, not only for me, but for my family for we have made this church family our own and you have treated us as your own for almost 13 years. We thank you for all of your kindnesses. We'll be able to express our gratitude again next week. But I want to say to you and I also want to say to those who are part of our church through this magnificent television ministry that this is what I feel is the most faithful decision for me and the most healthy decision for this congregation. And I know that God will continue uh, to bless and keep and worship will continue to occur in this place, but it has been my joy, my humble privilege to be part of your lives, those of you who consider this your church of sorts through this weekly ministry. And God's blessing upon you, and thank you for many evidences of uh, your appreciation and care and support and affirmation through these almost 13 years of, uh, of the opportunity to worship with us. So God bless you, and uh, I pray that our paths will cross again, and that uh, we will see each other maybe in different venues. Will you pray with me, please? Loving God, settle us now by Your Holy Spirit, working deep in our spirits, that we would be still and know that You are God, that we would be receptive and tender to the Word of truth, the Word, the living Word, that You speak to us from Scripture and from these feeble thoughts and proclamations this morning that we would not only hear what it is you speak to us and to our lives today, but, the, but today and in the days to come, that we would live it out with courage and boldness, with humility and joy. All for your glory and for our good and the good of your people, we pray. In your holy and precious name, Jesus the Christ. Amen. There is only one question that God is going to ask each one of us when we stand before Him in heaven before the throne of judgment, just one question. This is what my friend Barbara Brown Taylor told me when I was attending a preaching conference early in my ministry at Union Seminary in in Richmond, Virginia. I'll never forget her saying this during one of her lectures. God will ask of us just one question when we meet our loving Creator face-to-face. Just one question. What will that question be? Well, it will not be, why didn't you trust me more? It will not be, why didn't you serve me more? Why should I grant you a place in my kingdom, will not be the question. God will not ask us, what is the worst thing that you have done in your life? God will neither ask us, what is the best thing that you have done with your life? No, Barbara Brown Taylor told me and those others attending that gathering that she believes the only question that God will ask us on this occasion is simply this. Did you have a good time? I really wanted you to have a good time. This question, as we ponder it, paints a completely different picture than most of us carry around in our heads about who God is and how God acts. I have found the mere idea that God might ask us this question has opened up in me new places of my understanding of who God is. Maybe as you would ponder it, the same might happen for you. I've already seen some smiles on your faces to indicate that that might be the case. Barbara Brown Taylor's question that God will ask us, did you have a good time, reminds me of the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Some of you were required to memorize parts of, if not all, of the Shorter Catechism to be confirmed to become a full member of the church. How many of you have heard of or remember the first question, what is the chief end of man in that dated language? What is the chief end of humankind? And of course, the answer is the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Do you hear the echo of Barbara Brown Taylor's question in this first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. So let me ask you the question, before you see your loving Creator face to face, are you having a good time? Are you having a good time? And you know I'm not talking about a secular kind of good time, but how is it in your spirit, in your soul, Are you having a good time? Is living your life all that you hoped it would be at this point on your earthly journey? Or does it feel like something is missing? Is something a bit hollow in the core of your being? If we take to heart what Jesus is imparting to us this morning, we receive from our Savior a loving and priceless admonition at this juncture in the Sermon on the Mount when He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and dust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, Jesus says. Yet this is precisely what too many of us are indeed doing We are spending our time, our energy, our lives after that which gives no life. too many times we labor after those things that perish, that are not lasting, because the truth of the matter is, is that everything that we see in this earthly realm will all one day be dust and rust. The latest fashions that we wear will disintegrate. The jewelry on our fingers, our wrists, and our ears will be dust. The cars that we drive, the homes that we live in, even this beautiful house of worship will one day lie in nothing more than rubble and ruins. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, quoteth Koheleth, the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, imparting that wisdom to us. Dust, rust, it's all vaporous gases, we are told, in love. And so we ask ourselves as we are striving in this life, Are we having a good time or are we chasing after the wind? Are we working for the wrong reward? Are we investing in the wrong treasure that is fleeting and fading? And thereby are our hearts found to be in the wrong place because Jesus goes on to say, Lay up for yourselves, rather, treasure in heaven. Where neither moth or rust destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus speaks of a treasure in heaven. Well, we've heard many things about heaven. There are many speculations about what is there, what it's like. Pearly gates, streets of gold, beautiful, endless green pastures. I kind of like that image with glorious blue skies and clouds like we have never seen before and just the right temperature. Or maybe for some, there's a speculation or an idea of golf courses in heaven. There was once a man who prayed to God and said, God, I need to know if there is golf in heaven because if not, I'm not sure I'm willing to go there. And I think this is true. As I was thinking about this little story, I think this is true And maybe the other pastors can back me up on this, but Martin Luther, the great reformer, I think is quoted as saying, if there's not beer in heaven, I'm not going. That sounds like a Luther quote, doesn't it? You know, some of his best hymns were written after the tunes of drinking songs. A mighty fortress is our God was a good bar song until he put new words to it. But anyway, I digress. Back to this idea of, Lord, I, if there's no golf in heaven, I'm not going. Please tell me. And the Lord finally answered that prayer and said, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. Which would you like? He said, I like the good news. He said, well, the good news is, is that there are golf courses in heaven like you have never seen before. All perfectly manicured. And you never have to wait for a tea time. And you never have to wait between shots. It's the best golf you could ever imagine. And the man said, fantastic, what's the bad news? He says, you've got a tea time this afternoon. All of what we can speculate about heaven is just that, speculation. We really do not know a whole lot about life beyond this life except that it is promised to us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a mystery. But there are two things, however, that we do know about heaven. Two things that we can take to the bank that are sure and certain. Number one, that our loving Creator is there and we will see the face of Jesus Christ, His Son, our Savior. We can be assured of that thing. The second thing that we know about heaven is that there are people there. There are those who have gone before us those saints and those sinners who now fill the balcony of heaven are there cheering us on as we run our leg of the race and there awaits for us a glad reunion with those who have gone before us by God's grace and His favor. We can be assured of those two things. If we know anything about heaven, God is there and we will see the face of Jesus Christ and those who are His who have gone before us are there as well. And this shapes our understanding of what it means to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We begin our investment of our treasure in heaven now. For where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So how do we invest in our treasure? How do we secure our treasure in heaven even now? Will we invest in that which is eternal? that which is heaven-bound. That means we invest in people. Our treasure becomes the people in our lives. Our treasure becomes the relationship that we share with brothers and sisters on this earthly journey with us. For it is the only thing that we can be assured that we can take with us because everything else is dust and rust. Our eternal investment begins by laying up our treasures in our relationships with our brothers and our sisters. And Jesus wants us to see this. He wants us to see this with clear eyes, which are the lamp of the body, so that we are illumined in our earthly walk, that there is clarity of insight, and there is sureness of step as we walk through this journey of life, that people are our treasure, and understanding this It has a bearing upon the actions, the decisions, the choices that we make in life. For we answer our loving God with our understanding by the way that we live. Are we investing in people or are we striving after things? It determines our choices. Yesterday was a big day for some. It was a big day for the Hasty family, for me, for Jeannie, for Ruth Ann, because it was a big day for Abigail. She graduated from high school. She came out of her room down the hall, and the friends and family were gathered there, and she had on her cap and gown, which were white. I always think my daughters look like angels, but she really looked like one in that cap and gown yesterday. It seemed like it was just yesterday that I was changing her diaper. Yes, I changed diapers. It seems like just yesterday that I was helping her learn how to walk or ride a bike or drive a car or read a book. And I blinked. And now she is almost eighteen. Graduated from high school and ready to launch into the next chapter of her life on a college campus. And so it's quite natural at this kind of juncture to ask Did I make the right choices? Did I spend enough time with her? Did I invest enough of myself into her? Did I pour into her love and wisdom? Did I give enough of myself to her? Did I invest in that treasure that she is? Well, there are always woulda, shoulda, couldas in these kind of moments. But what I do know is that I now have the chance to recalibrate this relationship with fresh eyes and a new resolve to invest in treasure, and to remember that our children do indeed spell love, T-I-M-E. Abigail Milledgeville is not that far away. I may just show up in your classroom, but I will take you to lunch. And I'm going to keep on investing in my daughter and my daughters with more wisdom and more intention. And I pray that by God's grace, that relationship, that treasure that God has given to me will continue to mature and grow into something even more and more beautiful. I pray the same for us as we examine our own lives today and in the days to come that it would be our prayer that we would say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see You. I want to see the people that You've placed in my life with a new understanding and a new value. Help me to see the truth and the treasure of every person that You place on my path. One of the ways that we are able to see more clearly the treasure that is around us and to invest with purpose and wisdom and security in this treasure is to remember that we are all created, every one of us, in the image of God. That the image of God when we were created resides within us as the book of Genesis has told us. In that instance, it was an unmarred image that was there for the sin had not fallen into the world and clouded and distorted who we were created to be. But even still, that image of God resides within us, maybe more difficult to see. It is there. I pray that as we go forward as God's people, that God will give us the ability to see the reflection of that image with fresh eyes in a husband, in a wife, in a daughter, in a brother, or in a sister. And so what I am recommending for all of us today to do is this. Starting today, let these three words shape how you see the people that God has put in your life. A husband, a wife, a friend, a colleague at work, someone you hold dear. That as you look at that person today, maybe even before the end of the worship service, you would dare to catch a glimpse or take a little gander at somebody you've been sitting next to for decades and would let these three words shape how you see that individual. Image of God. When you look at them, say those three words to yourself. Let it ruminate and turn over in your heart as you look upon their faces. Image of God. Image of God. Image of God. you might see those people that you think you know very well in a different light. But don't stop there. As you go from this place today, you will encounter strangers. You will encounter people that you do not know. You will encounter the outcast, the hungry, the hurting, the homeless, the prisoner, the sick, the poor. You will see a woman in the checkout line at the grocery store who just can't quite seem to get her coupons all together and it's causing you to wait a little longer. But see her and let those three words shape how you see that treasure, image of God. Or that person in the line at the bank, or the teller, or the beggar on the street. Look in their faces and say, image of God, image of God, image of God. For in those faces we see the face of Christ Himself. For Jesus said, Whenever you have done it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. But there is one more step on the journey. You're going to get in the car. You're going to go home. You're going to go to bed tonight. But maybe in the rearview mirror, maybe in the reflection of the glass on the front door of your home or even in over the bathroom sink you will see your own reflection and when you look at that face looking back at you let those same three words be the ones that shape how you see even your own face image of god because it resides there yes marred and broken deluded and divided, hard to see, clouded by doubt, clouded by your own guilt, distorted by what other people have said to you and the tapes that you play in your own mind, or what you say about yourself that is not so flattering because of the person that you see there. But go deeper, for you too were created in the image of God, and God sees that image in you and treasures the gift that you are. So much so that God was willing to give for you, for you just as you are His greatest treasure, the greatest gift, His Son, our Savior. and seeing ourselves and knowing what God has seen in us and is willing to do for us, then we can know the real value of life. Life here and now, and that life which is rich and eternal in the heavens. Are you having a good time? Let us enjoy God today and forever as we see His image in others, the stranger, and yes, even in ourself. To God be the glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.